questions haunt every life, writes Andy Crouch. The first, what are we meant to be? The second, why are we so far from what we're meant to be? Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick, and this is the podcast that helps you close the gap between what you're meant to be and what keeps you from being all that. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to part two of my two-part conversation with John Lynch. And just by way of review, if you're listening to this without part one, John was a pastor for 27 years where he served in a teaching role at Open Door Fellowship in Phoenix, Arizona. He's the author of multiple books that he's co-authored with Bill Thrall and Bruce McNichol. Uh, the, the primary one that I really encourage you to check out is The Cure, and it is a restatement of a lot of the material that's in the now out-of-print book by these same guys known as True Faced. And uh, John's also the co-author of the novel Bo's Cafe, Behind the Mask, and his memoir-ish story, On My Worst Day. You can learn more about John and the True Faced ministry and the work that they do with individuals, with leaders and executives, with parents, And great, great resources there to uh, give you access to what they call a ministry centered around the original good news. So if you listened to part one, you heard John's heart. And in this episode, about three-quarters of the way through, John was making some comments just kind of randomly about the journey that he's on. And I was overwhelmed with emotion and I found myself here in my studio in Denver and him in his home in Phoenix just literally kind of tearing up. So I kind of said, hey, let's back up. And we talked about something that's actually pretty vulnerable to me, but it's almost like you're going to be listening in on a, on a therapy session between John and I. And, and hopefully what you hear, not just the content will be helpful because some people certainly might not relate to it. But more than that, I I hope that the process of how John and I engaged around this, which was quite unintentional, how it models the reality of how we change and how we're transformed, not by striving or what we do for God or others, but by the simple idea that we are loved and living in that love and risking being loved by that vulnerability. So, a lot of other great topics in this conversation, um, but two other resources I want you to check out. Um, if you're at all touched by this conversation and drawn to John's heart and uh, what he communicates, I would encourage you, number one, to check out a video on YouTube or at trueface.org called Two Roads, and it is a six-minute message of John sitting by a campfire where his entire life's work and message is communicated in really a brilliant way. Two Roads, John Lynch, YouTube, Vimeo, TrueFace.org. The other resource is the Heart of Man movie, which you've heard me talk a lot about if you've been listening for a while on this podcast. And John is one of the featured uh, speakers in that movie, sharing his own story. And the movie is so powerful, and what he contributes specifically is just over-the-top Uh, filled with hope. So let's jump in, part two of my conversation with John Lynch. One of the major themes, even through the novels, that I want to unpack a little bit is this idea of the two roads or the two rooms. 
And will you yeah. talk about that just to give people a framework? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Bill and Bruce and I have been together for a long, long time. Uh, the, the conviction that we would test these things out in community, we've written almost all of our books together, three authors together, which is a publisher's nightmare, and uh, it's not easy to do. Um, but it is, it's been an honest, vulnerable, powerful, horrible uh, set of relationships to do this. And, and I'm, uh, I, I can't imagine doing it with anyone else. Uh, uh, I can't imagine um, doing this uh, when it, either Bill or Bruce is not part of it or I'm not part of it. Just, just astonishing. But they came to me. Um, they had gone on a retreat. I was preaching an open door at the time, and they they had already started up True Face. I wasn't part of it yet. They came back to me from a retreat and gave me this concept of um, from Hebrews eleven um, that he says without without faith it's impossible to please God. Uh, that that noun form of the word pistos that uh, faith and the verb form being trust. And without trust, it's impossible to please God. And they came back and tried to to present to me that they were setting pleasing God and trusting God in opposition from each other, that, that we can be a group of people that promotes trying to please God as our primary motive instead of trusting God. And I said, guys, you can't do that. That's, that's <laughs> terrible. No, this... No, this is a bad idea. Go back. Try again. And um, as we talked that night, I thought, that is one of the most salient distinctions of the gospel that I've ever heard. And they said to me, um, well, we're, we're happy with that because we've been invited to go speak to the Navigators National Conference, and you'll be the one coming up with a message for that. On, on those things. <laughs> so the humility of those guys to say, Lynch, you're the one who's supposed to bring this, um, still blows me away. They still do it. They still put me in those spots when I haven't been the primary source material of taking it from the word. And, and they'll say, John, it's, it's on you now. So that was actually the, when I gave the two roads talk, it was the second time I'd ever tried maybe the first time I had ever put it fully together as a message. And uh, I got to walk out on the stage. I didn't like the navigators. I thought they were kind of a rough organization at the time. And um, my son was running a cross country meet back in Arizona. I, I didn't want to be there in Florida giving this talk. I walk out on stage and I hadn't seen the stage. It brought me from backstage and I walk on, there's these two walkways that go out into the middle of the audience Oh, the pleasing God path, trusting God path. I thought, I'm in puppy heaven. This is going to be fun. <laughs> so, um, but that conviction of the room of grace and the room of good intentions, that most of us spend our lives striving hard to please God enough, um, working hard on our sin to achieve an intimate relationship with God. And instead, to dare believe that what he wants is me to trust who he says I am in him 
and who he is in me and that that will please him. That that by itself will please him. That I'm Christ in me on my worst day. And that dynamic of that being true not only pleases him, but it frees me. It causes me to sin less. It causes me to love more. To depend upon that simple reality of I am Christ in John Lynch wearing a robe of righteousness all the time, that I'm actually righteous, actually holy, not someday or forensically or judicially or poetically righteous, but actually, and now I'm just maturing into that DNA. When when I get a hold of that, it breaks the power of things that have plagued me all my life. Mm. Instead of being this, this person who's trying to perform God to, to, to somehow be enough, uh, I'll, and I'll make promises and I'll, I'll tell them this time I really mean it, uh, keeps us trapped and ensnared in our own self-effort. So to dare believe that he says, um, John, for you to live out in humility, trusting me with who I say you are, that actually the shed blood of Christ was strong enough for him to come all the way around my sin. For the believer, he was never over there on the other side of my sin. That instead he stands right in front of my face and says, John, I know from the beginning, before the world began, I know and I'm crazy about you. I'm not disgusted. I'm not angry. I'm crazy about you. And he he holds me so tight until he's convinced I believe it. Mm. And then, and only then, does he put his arm around me so that we can look at my issues together. And he says, and kid, we'll deal with it when you're ready. I got you. I, I've, I've made you, and I've made you to want to obey from the heart. All we had to do was get the religious tripe out of the way, the, the man-made rules and regulations that said, come on, come on, you got to do more, you got to do better. The appeal to the flesh, that motivation that's working in so many of our churches that was working in this preacher for years. Mm. I, I tried so hard to get people to buck up, even though I couldn't do it myself. And, and to be able to instead say, uh, no longer are we going to appeal to the flesh. We're going to be convinced that Christ dwells in me and the real me wants to love and be loved and obey from the heart. Man, hmm. but if, I could, if I could give one message for the rest of my life, every single day of my life, I think I would want to give that message. So, John, our friend Tony Anderson said, uh, actually in a podcast several months ago, and and he got in trouble for this, and I got some hate mail. Um, He said that the greatest unreached people group on the planet today are evangelical Christians. And um, you're talking, and I find myself exhaling, and I feel so compelled, and yet we both know people and churches and groups and communities uh, for whom this news is too good to be true, or they attack it, they dismiss it. And I'm not blaming those people because that same energy can be in me in a nanosecond uh, in any given 
circumstance. What is it about our human tendency to want to push away that grace and to, to clench our fist against that kind of reckless love? Yeah. It's interesting. I was at this Christian Camping International Conference, the Ohio group, and I'm, I'm signing a book from someone, and someone comes up and says, Tony Anderson, you know Tony Anderson. <laughs> just starts bragging on, he says, I do, I do videos, and I do not do any videos without the sound bed being from Tony Anderson. So I, it was just to, to be in the middle of Ohio somewhere and <laughs> at, a, at a camp and some guy bragging on Tony, he's the best. He's the yeah. best. And I love what he says. Let's say hello to Tony on the count of three. One, two, three. Hi, Hi Tony. We love you, man. Love you too. So I just texted that to him the other day just to, uh, <laughs> and he responded. And he says, isn't it good that we're free from camping? There's air conditioning and homes now that we don't have to camp anymore. That's so funny. Hey, I was, I, I was uh, uh, sitting around the other day, and I got a text from my friend Ray Haddad, who is a uh, Lebanese man who grew yes. up in Abu Dhabi. And I met him in Abu Dhabi, and we had uh, lunch in Atlanta a couple months ago when I was passing through. So I get a text from him from Abu Dhabi, and it's he and Tony sitting in the desert having lunch. And I, I kind of introduced them and they knew each other through their industry, but they finally got to meet. And there again is another example of the small world of mutual friends. Um, I'm not surprised. I'm not, if I, if we take a picture of the moon and he's there, I, I won't. <laughs> um, well, in answer to that, I, I honestly think um, that we are afraid that we're not new creatures. I, I honestly think that we think we we will take advantage of this. Mm-hmm. If, if we're given this freedom, and there isn't some now we got to mix grace with uh, with what with what all grace, all truth is in grace. All grace is in truth, and. I think we're afraid what we'll do with it, that, that I don't have a new heart, but I do. So if that's, if the passage I just read, if, if that um, he, God, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to actually become sin on my behalf, that I would become in that same moment, just like in the same moment Jesus became my sin, that I would become the righteousness of Christ in him. Yeah, then, then I don't have to be afraid that if I let this run its course and really lived it out and really believed that he's really delighted with exactly where John Lynch is right now, that I'm right on time, what would I do with that? And I know for the longest time, uh, I believed I just had to hold on to Jesus or, or he would go away. Mm. And so I also think a lot of us who are in power, who have authority, who are pastors, um, there is, there is a, mm, these are hard words, but there's a control that keeps people coming to church. That there's a, you, you dangle a carrot out in front, but you make sure that they never get that carrot because their attendance is vital and their sense of you being the great 
dispenser of wisdom that they can never quite attain to is vital for that authority and that power. It's not authority, it's just title and power. But I, I watch that. I watch so many places where I've gone where that second tier of leadership is begging for us to come, but the senior pastor is terrified that we'll come. Because, oh, man, oh man it, he's, he's afraid. Um, and the trouble is, he's preaching a message of be more like me. I'm above you. I'm I'm better at this than you, but he's hiding. He's just yeah. full of hiddenness because there's none of us who are together. There's just that person doesn't exist. We are all a mess. Yeah. We're all, at the same time that I'm Christ in John Lynch, fully fused with Jesus Christ, my motives are pure about 34% of the time, and that's up from 27%. So it and I know that that is true about every human being on this planet. So it's terrifying for a pastor to dare believe these truths if you haven't believed them before, because mm-hmm. it's so hard to change the horse in midstream. And the thought of having to say to your congregation or your um, whoever it is you're leading, I think I've seen this wrong. Will you go back? to shore with me and let's get a seaworthy boat and we're all going to get a little wet in this process. Uh, It's scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. So I I think I keep hoping this next generation is able to grab these truths uh, because sometimes um, I wonder if Tony isn't right, at least about uh, my generation. Yeah, well, I mean, how many times have you and I been converted? And I don't mean the salvation to get us into heaven, but that that deep sense of could this really be true? That's right. And and um, I think until life has not worked, whether through physical suffering, or sin, or brokenness, or loss, when when you hit that wall, as you guys talk about, um, then you've got to turn to something deeper that you can't manage or control. Yeah. It would, what do we, would, uh, that line that we say before, uh, the one about uh, love more, not less than the telling of who I really am. We make that statement. Um, we're all awakening to the pain of realizing I can't control my world the way I thought I could stuck with unresolved issues uh, whose symptoms I'm trying to fix without the help of anybody else, that um, we are all, we can see it, but I don't know even know what the issues are. I just know I'm trying to fix symptoms so I don't embarrass myself. Hmm. Um, just even recently, in the last few years, I've, um, I've struggled with incredible pain with this stupid neuropathy that I've battled with, this nerve pain. And the answers, uh, you have to answer the sovereignty of God issue, the goodness of God issue. You have to answer all those. um, You have to have someone with you help you unpack those maybe lies that you've told yourself and didn't know how to stop telling yourself that God... um, 
are you as good to me as you are to others? Mm. You love me like you love others. And to have someone, uh, like you say, I have to get reconverted again. I have to believe this now in a whole new set of circumstances, in a whole new normal of, uh, I just had a stroke six months ago and or nine months ago. And I can't even remember dates any longer, but I had a stroke and, and it's just like, okay, this is my new normal now, God, where are you? Where are you when my gifts might not get to be used in the same way? Mm-hmm. Where are you, as I'm starting to walk off the stage, where, it, where are you in my identity when um, I, I, was, I got so much affirmation and adulation and love and delight by being this guy, and now I can no longer maybe be that guy? Where are you now? So, so it's constantly um, saying, is this true now? It's not, it's not a once, it's not an aorist tense it's a present tense experience. I, I love what we say that, that it may be a long walk to get to the room of grace. Uh, and it may be a long walk to get to the room of good intentions. But the distance between the two uh, rooms is about five minutes. The room of good intentions, I, I have a smoking jacket there. I know how to get there. Hmm. John, if, if you have a couple more minutes, because um, I know we're at the top of the... Well, I just sit around here waiting for people to call. Eh? <laughs> you, uh, you just brought a topic up that I had no intention of talking about, but my heart literally started to race, uh, I think because it's personally an issue I'm wrestling with. But I sense that this is an issue for a lot of people in the age group between I'm 53 and you're 65. And, and I want to call it... Um, walking off the stage in a way that's free. And here's, here's my story and my background is for years, I was like, well, if I don't get a PhD, then I'm not as good as blank. And if I don't write a book, then I'll never be as valuable as blank. And if, if the next book I write is not a New York Times bestseller, then I can never die happy and on and on and on. And I find myself at 53 in some ways, like in my prime and freer and healthier than I've ever been. And yet I'm also aware that there's a sense in which I'm becoming more irrelevant in terms of all the things I used to think were relevant. I no longer have to be funny when I go up and I uh, speak and I, I no longer have to worry as much about how I do, but there's this increasing sense over the next 10 years, five years, 20 years that, the curtain's going to close and someone else is going to walk out and I'm going to walk back. That brings me a sense of existential terror. (laughs) And so it's a little vulnerable talking about this on a podcast because who knows going to listen. But, but when you said walking off the stage, how do I do that with a sense of kind of exhaling in the same way that I talked about in the, the easy way, but to be able to go, what I bring today or tomorrow or 20 years from now is enough. And so, you know, Bill, Bill Thrall, he's what, 78 or 79? Yeah. And he, he stepped back from the public eye to, to yeah. some degree. Yeah. And other men, I talked to Gordon McDonald uh, not too long ago, and I, it feels like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. 
I've got to push more, run harder, be more successful. And that's bondage. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. So give me the advice. Give me the steps. Well, I, there's no steps and no advice. And uh, just first this, isn't it interesting? You say that about yourself and it causes me to love you more. It causes you to be vitally interesting to me. And, and I know you should be vitally interesting anyways. I know who you are and I know about <laughs> you. But truly, we've, we've gone on spendable currency from other relationships with each other. And what you just did, I just went, so how do I get vacation time with this guy? Hmm. Because um, that's, that's authenticity that um, makes you relevant in this next generation. Hmm. I, I, I just thought how fascinating, like uh, you and your bride are in the study guide for, for the heart of man. How fascinating that um, Jason Pamer and Jens and, and Tony, that they chose old guys and old girls to tell this story when it came time for the heart of man. These next-gen directors and producers and writers wanted us. They, they, wanted, they wanted old cats because they trust our message now. Mm -hmm. they, they have watched the authenticity of our message, and now it gets to be used in a greater way than in my 30s or 40s or Bill's 50s or Bruce's 60s or your 50s. You'll probably find out that some of your most important stuff is in your 60s. Hmm. And, and I, when people used to tell that to me when I was in my 30s or 40s, I thought, no, I'll be senile. What, are you kidding me? But I am delighting in the season. And, and it's so interesting to watch as I'm trying to step off the stage because that stroke did something to me that, caused me to say, um, I do not want to miss my kids and my grandkids. I do not want to miss playfulness. I do not want to miss people with a glass of wine sitting around my fireplace getting the best of me without that stuff that caused me to hurt people because I was still striving to be someone great. Mm. I want them to get that. And what I discover is that's true is I, I can't get off the stage. <laughs> I'm trying to get off the stage, but I've never been busier in my whole life. I, I'm getting to write this devotional for True Face right now. Which I, never thought I'd, I never thought a devotional would even make sense, but I'm, I'm 150 entries in to this year-long devotional, getting to talk about this practical reality of the language of love and how we get to affirm each other and love each other and then just playful silly pieces so all that to say um i love what you said that we are less relevant in the terms that we created way back then but those um the terms of relevance have changed for us mm. and and you even know the answer to your own question because you know the terms of relevance have changed for you and, and for the people that you cherish and value. So, uh, and, and it's so interesting for me to think, would I think more of you with another book written? 
or if you got a doctorate behind your or in front of your name, or if you took stage at, at whatever the conference is. And the answer is no. You would not be more interesting or more delightful or more relevant or more important to me. Um, what just happened five minutes ago in you saying the words that you did to me? That's why I think I wanted to say that because I just went, well, now we've, we, <laughs> here we are on the Zoom cast and I go, I know who you are. Mm. I really, in real time, know who you are. Yeah. So, so I, I think there's a whole generation who need fathers and they need big brothers and they are counting on, uh, there's these beautiful guys out of San Antonio, uh, Chad and Ree and others that they seek us out now because they've watched that we've had a chance to fail and learn and stand in uh, these truths. And we're, uh, we're just more interesting and relevant and important to them than we could have been in our forties or fifties. Man, you're, uh, you're preaching to my heart and it's interesting because you said, I, I already know this, and you're right, but when you were speaking about walking off the stage, uh, and here's a phrase I often use, there was a part of my heart, uh, a, a fragment of it that, um, that went, I can't do that. And then as you started to speak, the rest of my heart that knew that exhaled again. And, but, but let's come full circle, and this will be a great place to end this conversation for the sake of time. As you were talking, I, I pictured myself um, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, with none of the adornment, none of the, uh, the, the, the charm or the, you know, the, the skinny jeans or any, anything that I think would make me additive. And I say, could it really be true? Yeah. Could it really be true that I could just be a naked old man yeah. With a cane and yeah. coughing and 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 that people would go, I, I want that, not mm -hmm. Michael, but Christ in him. But mm -hmm. I, I want to be holy, and man, that changes my perspective, and, and that makes me believe. So I, I want people to hear that. Just like I said, oh well, you really believed all those things. Like your wife and Bill would leave you, you know, if you if you shared who you were and. <laughs> That here I am going, of course, my value is not defined in my speaking ability or anything like that. But, but deep down, there's a part of me that's not yet been converted that goes, could it really be true? Yeah, absolutely. I, man, these, uh, I hope this is valuable for someone else other than us, but it sure is valuable for us. Um, yeah. The other day, I said to Amy, uh, my oldest daughter, who has uh, two children, uh, Ridge and Navy, they're two and nine months. And I, I apologized for her, uh, to her, and I just said, I'm so sorry, this neuropathy, it keeps me sometimes from getting down on the ground with, with your kids. And I'm, I'm uh, and she just says, Dad, I don't even know that. I just know that you're dad. And, mm -hmm. and I want them to be around you every chance I can. Every chance I can. She just doesn't 
there's, she just doesn't even see who I see, who I think that I'm not. She just sees this man that she's fallen in love with and loves and trusts and needs and wants her kids to have my influence. And inside, I'm a, I'm a mess. And she, all she can see is this really good man. Mm-hmm. And uh, God does that. God vindicates. God uh, builds into and then makes sure that he allows people to that that's what this whole last month has been with these letters that I've been getting is he lets us um, that's all they're doing is saying, I see you, I see who you are you're you're not handsome anymore you're not you're not fast anymore, you're not as sharp, you're not as funny as you used to be anymore, but I need you more. Mm-hmm. I delight in you more you're and God does that in us and he is and he's responsible for allowing others to see us that way and i have to count on him that he's done that and michael i just want to tell you um you're already there you're just already there and it's we're we're just getting to articulate those conversions that we're having to each other and Mm. it's just so good it's so good for me to hear you say the words you're saying, it causes me, interesting, it causes me to trust you, really trust you. Um, I, I wish, I wish we could even uh, preach that to a lot of other men, that that's a great, great gift that we get to give it to each other. But there are a lot of people on those ladders still trying to perform and they are, um, devastated because they're just it's just like that attractive woman who realizes i'm not as attractive what do i do now who am i now Mm. a a lot of us who have depended upon our relevancy um, have lost those venues and and are afraid that there's nothing there behind the screen Mm. so powerful i feel like this podcast was uh for me and also, just to to connect with you, I I, I just feel uh, poured into by your words and trusting that this is helpful for others. So I'm going to get in touch with you, and I'm going to fly down to Phoenix and sit around your fire with you. Well, that would be you will have a place here, and you will have a place around my fireplace because that's that's right in these years, especially with this neuropathy. That's where I'm doing life. Best and most is in those conversations that we get to have with each other like this. That's that's all it is an excuse for guys to sit down for a while. You know? yeah. I, well, I would love that. I can't think of a better way to end my Friday afternoon at four o'clock. Uh, it's been a full week, but man, this is just this is not only the cherry on top, it's the icing and the cake. Well, my friend, we've talked about doing this for a long time. I'm just so grateful we got to. Me too. Love you, John. I'm thankful for you. Michael, same here, my brother. All right. Thanks Thanks for all for listening today. You've been listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick, produced by Brian Beatty and supported by generous listeners like you. To learn more about our life-changing intensive counseling process for couples and individuals, visit RestoringTheSoul.com.